Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Thursday, December 2nd, Arden's Welling, Ben Nicholson Smith. Ben, much to discuss. I don't even know where to start. Since we last recorded, we have seen a, a free agent frenzy across MLB as uh, you know, plenty of players have come off the board somewhat unexpectedly. Uh, the Blue Jays signed Kevin Gosman. Pretty big move. Robbie Ray is now a Seattle Mariner. Marcus Simeon is a Texas Ranger. And as of this morning, the owners of MLB clubs have locked out the players. And websites across the internet, official club websites, now have pictures of like just baseballs and like bats and uh, dudes that played 30 years ago and no mention of uh, the actual product that we all come to see, which is the players. It's a very strange world we found ourselves in. Um, Considering all that, Ben, what's kind of on your mind after the last week? Like, what have you come away from all this craziness thinking about? Oh, man, so much to get to. Like, it's uh, it really has been a wild week and such a contrast too, right? I mean, as you mentioned, this morning as we record this on thursday right after the lockout is implemented like you say you go to the st louis cardinals 2022 giveaways and it's like third baseman bobblehead (laughs) or you know first baseman t-shirt giveaway day instead of nolan arenado and paul goldschmidt it's it really is a remarkable shift and such a contrast from where we were in the last week because you know i don't know about you but i think that from an entertainment standpoint, and we'll get to the Jays and, of course, how they fit into this because they were pretty active. But, you know, league-wide, from an entertainment standpoint, this is as good as it gets. Like, this this was awesome. The hot stove was was really fun. It, it took me back a few years to before baseball became so slow with the offseason. And when the offseason, you know, has really become this slowed down, not very entertaining drag out fight between you know players and owners essentially and this was awesome it was such a great contrast and and really enjoyable i think to observe and i guess my question off of that would be why couldn't free agency always be like this like why hasn't it yeah. always been like why have we had this incredible slowdown in off seasons and why haven't we had spending like this and flurries like this like we know revenue has gone up across mlb year over year for like 10 years running up until 2020, obviously the COVID season, but like 10 years prior to that revenue just continued increasing. So why has it free agency always been like this? Why haven't we seen spending like this? I guess the answer must be that teams and players both think that they can gain something by waiting. You know, you think about Scott Boris on the player side and typically this year is different, right? Cause Scherzer and Semyon and Seager, all these, these Boris clients have signed, but more often he will wait and he waits because he believes and the results certainly back this up, but he believes that his players can get more if they wait and if they really let the market settle and build more pressure on the owners. And then at the same time, you have teams like the Rays, for instance, who believe that they can gain leverage on players as they get closer to spring training. Players really want to have a, a destination for their families and for themselves And that can lead to favorable deals for teams in some situations. So I think without this kind of pressure, for whatever reason, and it sucks the entertainment out of it, but I think both players and teams believe there there can be something gained by waiting. It's kind of what's been driving me nuts about 
you know, just the beginning of the coverage of this this lockout is, you know, juxtaposing it against the spending that we just saw in the free agent flurry that we just saw and seeing some people suggesting, well, what? how could players be upset? Look at the amount of money that's being thrown around. Like what, you know, every couple hours, somebody's getting, uh, you know, eight, nine figure contract. Like what's, what's the matter here? I mean, I just think that's the completely wrong read like the the read isn't that players should be satisfied because there's a lot of money being thrown around the read is that owners could have always spent like this like the read is that mlb revenue in 2019 was over 10 billion dollars and the percentage that the players have shared from that revenue has been decreasing since 2003 so like over those 10 years of revenue continued going up player share continued going down like that's the problem. This isn't even to mention like national TV deals that are over the next few years increasing from like a billion and a half to two billion dollars or the revenue that owners have been pulling out of, you know, commercial real estate around their ballparks and their restaurants and parking garages, like all these ancillary revenue streams that don't get filed under baseball related revenue or oh by the way the franchise values which just continue increasing it's an incredibly good investment to own an mlb franchise because there's only 30 of those things and they aren't producing any more of them so uh you know i just think that you know for all those reasons like you can miss me with the like why are players complaining right now like why are players upset with the system why are they on you know dissatisfied with it everybody's getting paid well like 12 to 24 guys got paid last week from a labor pool of 1200 so uh you know i just think it's skirting the issue entirely yeah no that's a really good point right 24 guys out of 1200 it's a fraction and you know anytime you're talking about and you know i can even see it you know from from either position whatever you think about the owners and there is no doubt that the owners are making money you know as as you'd expect for any industry where you know you only have 30 competitors allowed in the market like if there were only 30 bakeries allowed in america (laughs) i'm pretty sure those bakeries would do well you know so these teams are in a great position and they do make a lot of money but regardless of of which side you're on this is the chance to reset and it seems as though both owners and players want some changes implemented so for them to implement those changes this is the chance to do it and with that you know, there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of push-pull and there are a lot of variables too. So it's not just a tug of war along one axis. They are pushing and pulling in different ways at different times, very complex. And I think ultimately we will see an agreement reached. Like I'm not worried uh, based on the conversations I've had that we're going to miss time in 2022, but it's going to take some time for this thing to play out. Yeah, like a baseball team, like it's an entertainment product, right? So you're like, oh, if there was only 30 bakeries, like maybe it's better to say like, oh, if there are only like 30 bands in the world that you yeah. could go see, you yeah. know, like there, yeah. there are only 30 movies. That's it. They're not making any more movies. Exactly. There's only 30 of them. Like, wow, sign me up to be producing one of those movies. Exactly. Even the worst of those movies is probably going to have at least some <laughs> sort of niche audience. And and you're right. It is. Yeah. Movies is like a better example, right? And then you get to the blockbuster territory People just want to watch a blockbuster. So it might not be as good as it could be, but man, people are going to flock to it. So that's what Major League Baseball is. There are laws in place. Like if some billionaire like uh, Mark Cuban decided that he wanted to add a team to Major League Baseball, 
he cannot do that without first paying expansion fees. And second, and maybe more challenging and more important, getting the approval from Major League Baseball's very insular group of owners. You have to basically say that you're going to play by their rules if you want to join that club. Yeah, that's a tough club to join. Absolutely. So, and you're, yeah, you're right. There are like terrible movies out there and there are terrible baseball teams like Baltimore, <laughs> you know, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, like clubs that are, you know, their payrolls right now stand around 40, $50 million. I mean, each MLB club brings in $50 million alone from like shared revenue from national TV contracts. That's not their local TV, which is another, I don't know, 30, 40, $50 million. That's just shared revenue from national TV contracts. So they're spending less on payroll than they are getting just in shared revenue from TV. Like that's the problem. Like it's such a mistake to look at, you know, Corey Seager getting paid and Max Scherzer getting paid and say, oh, the system's fine. Like it's fine for that top, one percent but there is an entire middle class of players here like this bargaining is not for the best players in the game like it is for the uh like the late bloomers who don't hit free agency until into their 30s when players don't get paid anyway like it's for guys who suffer major injuries early in their careers you know major injuries when they're in the minors when they're in their early 20s that delay the beginning of their major league careers that delay their service time beginning like i think it's like the bargaining is for like players like that you know relievers just in general right you know it's just like classes of players that teams have decided they are not going to you know there isn't value in in giving them you know in giving them salaries that match the you know what they're producing on the field um so you know it's not the Seegers and the Scherzers. It's like the it's the Matt Moores and the Paul DeYoungs. Like it's those serviceable middle class MLBers who aren't really seeing a, a fair share of the pie. And I think that's what this bargaining's about. Yeah, as it as it should be, right? I mean, collective bargaining. They're bargaining as a collective, and they're they're trying to do what's best for that overall population. And of course, the leaders tend to be guys like Scherzer and Semyon who have a lot of experience and clout and success on the field, but they really do look at it as a group and that requires some creativity and you know this is a stage where a lot of different things have been floated Um, everything from you know you replace arbitration with a war system or you expand the playoffs to 14 teams and you know we'll see ultimately this is a good time to explore some of those creative things but at the same time if you look back at the collective agreements over the course of the last 30 years Oftentimes, the changes are more incremental. It's not that they totally turn everything on its head and, you know, service time is out the window and we're going by age now. I think service time is going to stay. Like, I think that, you know, usually the changes are more gradual, but that doesn't mean there isn't a chance for some real creativity here and some real change. Totally. Um, And my last thing I'll say on this is one thing I'd like to see come out of the CBA that will never come out of the CBA or ever come ever is a COTS baseball contracts for owners. Like, you know, you see like there's a sticker shock to, you know, the the Texas Rangers spending half a billion dollars on their their middle infield and Corey Seager having three hundred twenty five million dollars. Like, all right, let's see like what Steve Cohen made last year. Like, let's see like how much passive income came from his enormous investment portfolio. Like, let's see the uh, you know, like like if Steve Cohen wants to give Max Scherzer forty three million dollars to pitch for him next year, he just grabs like a Jackson Pollock off the wall. Here you go. This is actually tax free and worth more than forty three million dollars, and it's going to appreciate in value, and it just hangs on a wall in my house. So, uh, you know, I, I'd love to see you know a reflection of ownership earnings, just so there isn't as much 
uh, attention paid to, wow, these you know, players are getting paid like the 1% of players. 12 out of 1,200 are getting paid. It's a massive difference. Yeah, for sure. Those books would certainly be interesting. <laughs> I'm not uh, holding my breath to see what those uh, look like because usually those are, are kept very much behind closed doors. But you're right. There's no doubt that, um, yeah, Major League Baseball is a very, very lucrative business to be in. And I, I don't think this lockout is going to change that. I, I do think that there's going to be resolution and this lockout will be slightly damaging, obviously, from an optic standpoint and uh, from a narrative standpoint. But as long as they don't miss games, then there's a chance to come out of this in a good spot. Yes. Uh, and, and that's the other thing as well, right? Like if you miss games, who does that hurt most? I think that actually hurts players more than owners, right? Like that's why I think we have a lockout here. Where do owners make the majority of their money from massive postseason national television deals? Where do players make their money? Play in regular season games. Something to keep in mind that, you know, missing regular season games hurts players more than it hurts owners really is just something to keep from, you know, in the back of your head as, as this continues. You want to talk about Kevin Gosman? Kevin Gosman's the Toronto Blue Jay. System worked well for Kevin Gosman. Five years, $110 million for a guy who was non-tendered two years ago. It's a crazy thing. After 2019, like to the day, December 2nd, 2019, to the day, Kevin Gosman was not tendered a contract. Any club in baseball could have signed him. Blue Jays tried to sign him, uh, were unsuccessful. Kevin Gosman went to the San Francisco Giants, had himself a nice season. So nice that the Giants qualified him, gave him a qualifying offer. Again, Blue Jays circled back around and said, hey, would you like to be a Toronto Blue Jay now? We think you're going to get even better than you were in 2020. Uh, and Kevin Gosman made the, uh, in hindsight, excellent decision to bet on himself, take that qualifying offer, pitch another season for the Giants. First half of the year was like running away with the Cy Young Award. Second half of the year, not quite so great, ran into some some tough home run luck. You know, it was like a, a 4-4 ERA over the second half and a 1-7 ERA over the first half. But all in all, he ends up with a fine season and a fine contract for himself. Your thoughts on Kevin Gosman and the Toronto Blue Jays? Yeah, it's a good fit. I mean, I don't know about you. I wasn't like shocked when this news started breaking. Um because, as you said, I mean, they've liked him for so long. I mean, I, didn't you predict at one point that Gosman was going to be traded to the Jays? I said they were going to trade for him, like, going into the 2021 season when we all thought the yeah. Giants weren't going to be good. <laughs> and the Giants ended up winning, like, 109 games. But at the time, looking at the Giants roster, nobody expected that that was going to be, like, the best team in baseball. So that's why I thought he'd be traded to the Jays at the deadline. And then here he is a few months later. So, I mean, I'm not... It's not shocking that they liked him. They've obviously liked him for a long time. Um, the deal, 22 times 5, I mean, pretty reasonable. I, you know, I think that he's certainly getting well compensated. Um, at the same time, it's not the sort of uh, deal that will singularly hamstring the Blue Jays if it turns out that he's injured and misses time, whatever the case. More likely, he's healthy and he's able to use that splitter down in the zone and the fastball up in the zone as you wrote about, and, you know, really be an effective starting pitcher for a long period of time. So I think it's a good move. Clearly, they're better with Kevin Gossman. He's a really good major league pitcher. Um, you would still expect that to be the case as he moves into his early 30s. And he joins a group that's starting to look really strong. So, you know, 
big picture, you know, first impression, it's a good deal. He's a really good player and he helps the Blue Jays rotation. Yeah, it's cool to look at some of the adjustments they've made over the last couple of seasons and how that's unlocked a lot for him. And I'm sure that these are some of the adjustments the Blue Jays were going to suggest to him if he had signed with them in 2019 and even in 2020 going forward. You know, some of the pitch usage to righties started using his splitter a lot more to them. Kind of moved the location of his splitter to righties a little bit more as well like instead of kind of like trying to basically like you know attack the the corners with it he's just kind of left it over the heart of the plate and let its natural action just carry it beneath his own it's made it a lot more effective because like osman was like for a long time this kind of bizarre reverse splits guy um like his splitter worked really effectively against left-handers and like righties were kind of getting to him and and now he has like equalized that a lot more where he's you know as effective against right-handers as as against left-handers also embrace pitching up in the zone with his heater. And he can get a lot of like a pretty surprising amount of swing and miss on his fastball up in the zone. Like it's not an overpower. It's not a Robbie Ray fastball, right? Like it's not an overpowering thing. Like it's, you know, 94, 95. Like it's got some okay movement to it, like probably above average life, but it's not, you know, a, an elite MLB weapon like his splitter is. Like a splitter is one of legitimately the best pitches in the game. His fastball by like today's MLB standards kind of ordinary but he gets a lot of swing and miss with it like it's really effective because he's just started elevating with it and using it up so you think about like you got the fastball up in the zone the splitter is going down tailing down beneath the zone you're just creating so much separation there if you are repeating your delivery staying strong through your pitching motion repeating your arm angle and your release point you create that deception as a hitter you don't know what you're getting the two pitches look exactly the same until it's too late. And by the time you recognize the movement or the 10 mile per hour velocity discrepancy, I mean, it's too late to execute a swing. So for a lot of hitters, you're kind of just left guessing. And then even when you do guess correctly, because which you will, it's a 50, 50 proposition. You'll probably guess correctly. Sometimes you still got to try to hit this splitter. That's like dropping a foot or this fastball that is like up at the letters that like, you know, you're still round object versus round object. Like it's still going to be really hard to execute on that. So I think that's why like Kevin Gosman has had a lot of the success he's had is just making those adjustments. It'll be kind of interesting if the blue Jays can even like carry that process a bit further. And if there are even some more upside to tap into here, with Kevin Gosman and, and some more to unlock um, so that maybe he doesn't suffer like maybe some of the struggles they did over the second half last season. Yeah. I mean, you look at the the results have been great. Like you say, with that two pitch mix, I think, you know, at this point, if he's just who he is, I think you're thrilled with that. Oh, I, yeah. You know, <laughs> in, in comparison to say like a, a Yimmy Garcia who we'll get to, and you look at him and the spin and the velo there and you think, okay, maybe there really is another, another level that he could get to. Whereas with Gosman, I think, if he kind of holds this 50-50 fastball split, you know, throwing a few pitches to keep hitters guessing, you're thrilled with that. And it's a it's a proven model and it works. And it's interesting too because, you know, obviously he signed here basically the same day, I think it was the same day, that Robbie Ray signed in Seattle. I think, yeah, Ray was the next day maybe. It wasn't... Maybe the next day. Yeah, it wasn't long. Yeah, within a 24-hour window yeah, exactly. basically. And, you know, you're looking at two pitchers who use, in some ways, a similar approach. I mean, with Ray, obviously lefty-righty, but Ray, you've got the slider, and then Gosman, you got the splitter. And a lot of fastballs, and it works great for them. And maybe in an era where pitchers aren't going eight innings, they're not necessarily going to face hitters, you know, three times in a game quite as often as they would have in the past... 
Well, you don't necessarily need those third and fourth pitches to keep the opponents off balance. If it works two times through, get through six innings, you're good to go. Um, so in that sense, there's a comparison. And even the contract terms are kind of similar. Um, but I would just note here that, you know, with Ray, he got a three. The way I see it, what Robbie Ray got is a three-year deal with a two-year player option. Yeah. And that's very different than a five-year deal. You know, it's framed by the Mariners as a five-year contract with an opt-out after three. But that's essentially a three-year deal with a two-year player option. From a club's perspective, how do you think you value uh, that option? Like, what number could you even put on that? You know, because you think about the draft pick compensation that like uh, the Mariners are going to be paying here. Like, I know there's like a seven million dollar value on that somewhere around that realm. What what value do you think go, is on the opt out? I think it's a lot. Like, right? I think you know, yeah. yeah, like a substantial, maybe comparable to that seven million dollar figure. Um, like, would you rather have Gosman, for instance, at 100 over five, but he has an opt out after three years? Or would you rather just pay him 110 over over five? Yeah, like that might be a roughly comparable. And I'm just pulling this out of nowhere. But that might be a roughly comparable contract, really. I mean, it's a substantial value. Totally. And that's why I think like there's more than meets the eye with just the five years, 110, five years, 115 that you see just on the sticker for these contracts. Like there's a lot more beneath it. This really changes the values. There's tax differences between the, you know, where Robbie Ray's playing and where Kevin Gossman is playing. And like, that's a factor. Like, you, like you think Marcus Simeon for 175 million in the state of Texas, no income tax state, like for the Blue Jays to match that, playing in Toronto, it's well over $200 million with the, the tax savings that Marcus Simeon's going to have in Texas. Good luck, right? Like, I, I don't want to compare Ray and Gosman because it feels lazy, right? Like, it just, like, it feels too obvious, but they're so damn similar, like you said. You know, like, just the, the way they pitch, they're the same age. They both overcame, like, significant struggles throughout their 20s, uh, and then something clicked right around 30. All of a sudden, they realized this potential that we've all seen that they've long had, but they were never able to fulfill. They became, like, legitimate, like, top of the rotation dudes. Like, there are so many similarities there. But then because of that, I've been thinking a lot about two-pitch pitchers, right? And, like, why why don't we see more two-pitch pitchers? Like, why don't we see more guys that, like, have this approach? Like, well, for starters, Robbie Ray's slider and Kevin Gosman's splitter are, like, elite, right? Like, not yep. a lot of guys throw pitches like exactly. those two. So, if, like, if your pitch is that good and that, like, downright unhittable when it's on, like, that that allows you to pitch in this fashion because, like, guys can't hit it when it's, when it's working. But then also I kind of thought, like, well, if you're, say, like, you're a righty, who is just kind of like sinker slider and then you got to change up you use against lefties right to kind of neutralize that side of the platoon well aren't you kind of like a two-pitch pitcher in a way because like you're throwing sinkers and sliders to to right-handers and sinkers and change-ups to lefties so you're like i think there are actually kind of a lot more two-pitch pitchers than we actually really realize like take like alec manoa right like it's kind of like fastball slider to righties and i know he uses a slider to lefties but like a lot of fastball change up to lefties as well right so it's kind of like is he is alec manoa not kind of a two-pitch pitcher as well there's a lot more pitchers who pitch this way just because they have certain you know weapons that they use against certain sides of the platoon they might not have like the plus plus weapon that you know robbie ray and uh you know i don't know like dylan cease like have right like with his with his slider like the approach obviously works for them but 
I do think two pitch pitchers are it's a bit more common than maybe we think. Uh, I've been thinking about that a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting because like, you know, you're not going to see there are a lot of starters out there who are just not going to throw a lot of right on right change ups, for instance. Yeah. So then essentially they're against a right handed hitter. They're throwing fastballs up, sliders down. Maybe you throw a curve in there to keep them off balance once in a while, try to sneak a first pitch strike. But like you're not seeing a ton of variability there. So, yeah, and, you know, with Gosman, like the splitter kind of functioning like a change up in some ways. So then he would be throwing right on right change ups as well as obviously the lefties. Probably a reason that that reverse split existed is because the splitter is so good against the left handed swing. And, you know, now it's it's just working in all areas for him. It's definitely an interesting kind of observation there. You mentioned how kind of closely together these signings came. Like, do you think the Blue Jays made a choice? here in that we prefer kevin gosman to robbie ray or is that mischaracterizing it it's a good question clearly they really liked kevin gosman i mean that's that's apparent i think they legitimately liked ray too i mean sometimes there are other factors too like i haven't had the chance to go back and listen to his introductory press conference with the mariners but you know maybe he wanted to be in the states maybe he wanted to be in seattle there could be other reasons you know toronto as kevin gosman was talking about uh, just the other day and he was framing this in a really you know not in a negative way but the reality is that there are certain restrictions whether it's you have to go through customs you have to get passports for your family the covid thing is real too right like where even if it's not the player themselves any guests that they have coming to toronto would have to be vaccinated right so you're looking at just logistical hoops that exist for the blue jays that don't necessarily exist elsewhere maybe i tip my hand but i like i i think it is a mischaracterization to say that like the blue jays chose kevin gossman over robbie ray like i think they liked both players and i think the blue jays would have happily brought back robbie ray they're clearly negotiating with both players simultaneously and like it's funny right like we compare free agency to a grocery store on this podcast right yes but we certainly do you're not literally standing in the cereal aisle able to choose whichever box you want. Like some of the boxes are out of reach. Some of the boxes aren't accessible. Some of them don't fit in your cart. Some of them aren't ready to be purchased. Some of them aren't on sale yet, right? Like the what I'm saying is like the player has the choice in free agency. It's not just like the team could sign anybody that they want. Like the player has to be motivated to sign, motivated to come to your market. They have to want to take your money. There are like I mentioned the t- different tax situations and you know different like opt-outs and like all the different kind of things that can move the the values of contracts around and you know, maybe a bit more than meets the eye than just the literal term and literal dollars. And like the Blue Jays don't make free agent moves unilaterally. Like there has to be willingness on the other side. So I think that sometimes when you're looking at two players in free agency who are maybe somewhat similar in a similar tier and you like both of them, I think occasionally rubber just meets the road and one guy is just ready to move and the other guy maybe is still having a little bit of hesitation. And if you wait too long, for somebody else to make a decision or to make a move, well, then maybe you end up missing out on both because the other guy that you like has other options. Like Kevin Gosman had other options as well. Like it's kind of like a bird in the hand versus the one in the bush sort of situation. And I just think that at the time that this went down, like there was a belief that Robbie Ray maybe wanted more term, maybe was going to wait until after the lockout 
to sign. And like you also had obviously this lockout kind of hanging over everything, like creating this artificial pressure. And you mentioned it like the Mariners process with Robbie Ray by, you know, by all accounts was pretty quick <laughs> that, you know, that happened pretty last minute. So I think there's, you know, more than meets the eye here than just the Blue Jays picking one guy over the other. And I think there's a little bit of almost like revisionist history that I see a little bit on Twitter, which, you know, dangerous place to draw your conclusions from. But I, I see a little bit of like, oh, you know, like whatever, Robbie Ray, like it's it's fine. You know, Jay Scott Gosman, no big deal. And I mean, it's worth it's worth noting he he was the Cy Young winner this past year. Like, yeah. you know, if if the Jays had been in a playoff game and Robbie Ray had been on the mound, I think Blue Jays fans would have been thrilled and rightfully so. Robbie Ray was unbelievable this year. He was so good. And in my opinion, he is going to be nasty in 2022. He is going to be an ace. He's, in my opinion, he's going to be better than Kevin Gosman next year. Now, here's the thing. Fastball slider, you you lose like one or two miles per hour. There is some risk there. And long term, especially with the opt-out, I legitimately think that the Gosman deal is as good or, or close to as good as, as the Ray deal. Although I will say that I had some agents reach out on the Ray deal, kind of know like, man, that's a little light for Robbie Ray. Right? I thought so, and yeah. Yeah, I think I think it did seem a little light. I know the opt-outs there, you know, 115 for a guy who just won the Cy Young isn't, I thought he might have had a case for 140 over six or 150 over six. And then again, it's not all about money. He's happy in Seattle. Good for him. What an amazing, you know, contract and turnaround. And, you know, Robbie Ray's in a great spot. But, you know, you look at these things, and I, I just would veer away from the revisionist history. Like, Robbie Ray is really good. He's going to help the Mariners. He is, like, he's a great pitcher. I, I wouldn't want to just, like, brush him aside as, like, a non-factor here. Yeah, literally the best pitcher in the American League yeah. this season, <laughs> as recent as it gets. Uh, and, yeah, I thought his his turns were a little light. And then, obviously, like, the draft pick, you know, that depresses his market a little bit. You know, like all the other things that we've kind of been talking about. But I do wonder if there was a little strain of clubs wondering how sustainable what Robbie Ray does. Oh, no is, doubt. Right. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And so yeah. and I wonder if that is reflected in some of the like interest and offers that he was able yeah. to get. Uh, because like you said, like, yeah, I agree with you. I think Robbie Ray will probably be better than Kevin Gosman 2022. All things being equal, I think so. But who do you think, Ben, will be better in 2024, I guess, is the question. I think Gosman, honestly. Yeah. I think Gosman, you know, three, four years out, I think it's him. But yeah, that 2022 matters a lot. It matters a ton for both the Mariners and the Jays. Um, like, Ray is probably more of like an ace than Gosman or than even Brios. And I know where I land on this, but, you know, what do you think about the question of, you know, do the Blue Jays need an ace because now they got Brios, Manoa, Ryu, Pearson, Stripling back there. Of course, Gosman. That's a really good group. Maybe doesn't have a traditional number one. I guess like what's the what's the name? Like how do you quantify that? Right? Like what's an ace? You know? Yeah. Because like I don't know, man. Kevin Gosman over the last two years has like a three ERA and yeah. hasn't missed a start. So I don't know. It's kind of ace like. Like I don't like I don't know where when you cross that threshold into ace. Dumb. Like there's some teams and Barrios is close. There's some teams that just have like one really good pitcher and then their other four guys are kind of mediocre. And it's like, oh, that really good guy is like, he's our ace. 
but I don't know, maybe he's got like a three and a half ERA, right? Which is fine, but like he's, I don't know, that's not Garrett Cole, like that's not Scherzer, right? Like that's, you know, pick your guy. So I don't know like what an ace is. Like I think that the Blue Jays just need to layer in as many like quality options as possible. And I think they'll actually layer in another one after the lockout and uh, like just continue to build out their depth of of their staff because like as we know you don't just use five starters over the course of a season so yeah give me uh you know kind of a quantity of good arms rather than like one super arm who is like yep that's my ace and then everyone else is just kind of running the mill yeah i 100 percent agree with that and you know maybe i am underselling gosman and brios because maybe they are aces by some definitions but no i mean you look at the giants last year and they didn't necessarily, Gosman was their ace, and they were one of the best teams in baseball. So, I mean, I think that says it all. I think you'd rather beat them than the 2021 Mets, where they have DeGrom and, you know, just not enough support uh, or depth behind. And absolutely, the Jays are still trying to add more. I had someone suggest that the Jays were working in trade on a starter this week pretty actively. Um, obviously, that hasn't happened, so we'll have to wait and see where that leads. But I definitely don't think they're done. More likely a back-end type of starter, but I don't think they're done in the rotation. Yeah, like among qualified starters across MLB in 2021, Kevin Gosman had the sixth best ERA, right? Yeah. Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer, Walker Buehler, Brandon Woodruff, Zach Wheeler, Kevin Gosman. Robbie Ray right right behind Gosman at 284. Gosman is at 281. So like, I don't know, I guess that's ace level. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Maybe, yeah. Why don't I consider him an ace then? Maybe right? it's because we saw him in the AL East for so long and, you know, he kind of took him a while to grow into it. But no, you know, maybe he's maybe he's gotten there. Well, and he kind of had this weird year, right? Like is like I was alluding to earlier, like he was like legit, like running away with the Cy Young Award over the first half. Then over the second half, it was like the the ball started to leave the yard a bit more. The like second half ERA is like four four, right? Like that's that's probably not nice, but like it was a rough go. But I think that you look at some of the home run luck, and I think you look at the fact his strikeout rate was steady the entire time. Walk rate actually decreased, and Kevin Gosman never been a guy who like walks a ton of dudes like the stuff was like crisp and and effective like i think that there are a ton of indicators that suggest kevin gosman is more of the first half guy than the second half guy what he really is is probably like the three era guy that he's yes. been since the beginning of 2020 uh durable high strikeout rate manageable walk rate with like an elite splitter so, like, I think he's got all the tools to continue being that three ERA guy going forward. That's that's probably where I would, like, project him next season. It would be, like, 170 innings at three ERA off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, you look at FIP and XFIP, like, they back it up. They say that what he was doing the last two years was sustainable. And, you know, you do look at the projections. Don't have it in front of me, but, yeah, it, it is around that. Like, the projections really like Kevin Gosman. So that's, I'm sure that figured into the Blue Jays' decision-making. I mean, to go for a guy that the numbers really like, the stuff is there. They talk about character all the time, and certainly Gosman made a good impression, said all the right things in his press conference on Wednesday, um, and seems really excited to come back to the AL East, which is not something every starting pitcher wants to do. Well, and I think Steamer isn't excited that he's going back to the AL East because they've got him at 188 innings, but a 3.87 ERA. So okay. they've got him as a like a three and a half win. 
pitcher and they got like a, a few more walks in there and a, a few less strikeouts like look he's going to some tougher environments certainly he's going to be facing some i mean look he had some tough opposition in like the you know nl west where he was playing the, the dodgers all the time and the padres like you know he, he was playing tough lineups but like obviously the al east is is a different animal and and the offensive environments are going to be a bit a bit tougher but yeah you mentioned like the the clubhouse stuff as well i think is like that's 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 important here right like that's that's part of the deal like the blue jays don't give out this kind of money to people who they don't think are going to be good parts of their culture and who they don't think are going to fit with like kind of the young core that has really developed its own sort of vibe in, in the blue jays clubhouse and its own sort of way of doing things like they don't want to disrupt that in a major way so uh and i think that you know having a, a kevin gosman around like that can be good for a like a nate pearson who is kind of going through a kevin gosman situation right now like he's kind of going through a kevin gosman arc where it's like super high top prospect gosman was like number four in the draft like top of prospect lists all that stuff pearson top prospect reached the majors struggles right like tough times injuries kind of going through it delivery is not where it needs to be like kevin gosman went through all of these things so you know like nate pearson with similar pedigree similar talent similar expectations the age of 25 i think he could probably learn a lot from from kevin gosman and i think kevin gosman is just like a walking breathing reminder that it doesn't always go like it went for alec manoa like for a guy like nate pearson like you don't write a guy off at 25 you don't banish him to the bullpen and like turn away all that upside and all that potential as a starter just because he didn't realize it immediately as he reached the big leagues like there are plenty of big league starters who don't figure it out until their late 20s or their 30s Robbie Ray and Kevin Gosman, just like prime examples uh, and prime models of like kind of the perseverance and determination and like professionalism uh, that it kind of takes to reach that point and then get yourself to, you know, a, a place where you are fulfilling that potential and doing what, you know, people maybe unfairly expected you to do immediately upon reaching the, the, the highest level of competition in the world. Sometimes it takes a while. And, you know, another name we haven't even mentioned, Stephen Matz, right? Like it, yeah. uh, he's had some ups and downs. He, you know, didn't reach the same heights that a Gosman or uh, a Ray did, more of a back-end starter. But should mention, too, he got a really nice deal from the Cardinals. Really? Great deal. Really nice Mats. deal. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I don't think that, um, if you're the Jays, I don't think you're necessarily like wishing that you had him for 44 over four. If you're the Mets, clearly Steve Cohen did wish that he had him for that price. Yep. And that led to a whole thing before. And the Mets have since signed like four players, including Max Scherzer. So they're going to be fine. They're going to be better than fine. But yeah, the Mats thing was interesting. And he's a guy that we've talked about a lot on this podcast this year. Good for him for getting that deal. Honestly, I think the Blue Jays are better off trying to find the next Steven Matz and doing that, taking a little less certainty, taking a little more risk, but doing it at a lower cost. I think that makes sense as opposed to, I just think, 44 over four for a fifth starter. I don't like that. Yeah, I don't love it from like a you know front office perspective. I love it from a like health of the game perspective. That'd be great. Yeah, That's no, going yeah. great for fifth starters. Yeah fantastic right like perfect. john gray 56 over four okay i mean that's sure yeah. all right 
right? Like, no, yeah. Like, do I think like the Rockies completely bungled the John Gray situation by like a not trading him at the deadline, b not extending him, c not giving him a qualifying offer, and then just losing the quote unquote asset for nothing? Yeah, that is bad quote unquote asset management. Great for John Gray. Great for fifth starters across the league. Like all these teams that, you know, some of the sticker shock from some of these contracts, right? It's like, oh, the Rangers spent what on Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager and their team's not even that good. What are they doing? I don't know. They're trying to win. Like they're spending money. No, good for them. This is good. (laughs) They're trying to win. This is what you want. Like you don't want the like Baltimore Orioles who, you know, when's the last time they meaningfully were in free agents. I'm not talking Rugnet and Odor here, right? Like, when's the last time they were, like, meaningful players in free agency? So give me the Rangers spending a bunch of money. Give me the Mets spending way past the CBT and pretending the CBT doesn't even exist. Great. Perfect. Put pressure on other clubs to do the same thing. Like, team spending money is a good thing. It shouldn't always be this, oh, what are they doing with their payroll? Oh, how are they going to fit all these pieces? Like, who cares? You get Stephen Matz on this four-year, you know, $44 million, was it, deal? Great. <laughs> great for Stephen Matz. Great for fifth starters. I hope we see more like that and more players getting paid. For sure. And, uh, you know, we'll see where the Blue Jays spend the rest of their money. I kind of think, you know, the infield is the is the next big piece for them. But uh, we'll see where it all goes. Let's talk about it after the break. Blue Jays still have uh, work to do, and so do we. So uh, we'll talk about all that so much more when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on At The Letters, Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith. And Ben, I feel like we, we mostly covered starting pitching for this club. And they, you know, we understand that Blue Jays going to look to add another back-end type to this rotation. Kind of tough by free agency right now. Most guys are off the board. You could look at like a Yusei Kikuchi or like a Tyler Anderson or Danny Duffy or what have you. Could come via trade, as you, you know, as you mentioned, Blue Jays active uh, in trade negotiations towards uh, the the lockout deadline. There, it's funny, man. Like clubs are going to have basically two months, hopefully <laughs> two months, uh, or they can't talk to players, they can't engage with their own players, they can't talk to free agents. Clubs are just going to be like exchanging trade proposals endlessly um, for two months. So we might see this crazy flurry of trade activity coming out of the lockout whenever that is. And I wonder if that's how the Blue Jays sort of find their infielder that they still very much need. So this has been a question that I've had is I'm not even sure if teams can talk to one another during the lockout about trades. Why wouldn't executives be allowed to talk to each other? They're not in the union. They're not in the union. Right. They're certainly allowed to work. In fact, they're not allowed yeah. to not work. They have to show up <laughs> and, and you know do their preparation for the season. So internally, they can obviously have all the talks that they want. I am not convinced, and I haven't seen an official league edict on this, but I am not convinced that they are able to talk trades with one another. And in any time that I've asked people with teams like for clarity on any stuff around this, it's very cagey, the responses I get. Like people do not want to say anything. And and I think that's, you know, reading between the lines, I think that's basically the league mandating do not fall out of line here and telling the executives do not get us in trouble, do not give the other side ammunition for a potential lawsuit. Well, teams have been told like very directly, do not talk about players at all. To like to us, certainly, 
So I don't know if that, like, I think that front offices would be smart enough to do like the MLB.com thing where it's like, hey, would you talk about veteran Puerto Rican catcher? And then like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, actually there is, you know, whatever, like, uh, you know, 22 year old Cuban left fielder that could be interested, right? Like they could get around it that way. Yeah. Not using names. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could you could right? get around it that way. I guess it depends on <laughs> like, is that so is that sanctioned? Like if you're Ross Atkins, are you then encouraging your baseball operations people to have covert discussions with their peers around the league? Like at, at a certain point, it kind of starts to seem risky, you know, like so I wonder yeah. if it's just, you know what, we're really going to lock it down and just keep it all internal and come up with our kind of valuations and priority list internally. But I'm, I'm honestly not sure. Um, but that is one of the questions I've really been asking this week. I do think there is still a trade to come for the Blue Jays when yeah. this lockout is over. And so maybe it's not the second the lockout finishes and maybe those trade discussions pick back up rather quickly when it does. But like, I just think that is the way that the Blue Jays address, um, you know, their, their next most pressing need. And that's on the infield. Um, cause you can't look at what's left in free agency. Carlos Correa is, seems like it's probably the bidding's going to go to a level the Blue Jays might be uncomfortable with. I don't see him coming to Toronto. Right. If he's making 350, I don't see it. Kind of wonder how much interest there would be in a Trevor story. Like there's so many different ways you can kind of paint his statistical profile and like this, the you know career that, that he's had. I don't know if there'd be too much interest there. Like, yeah, I think Chris Bryant would make a ton of sense. Um, but, you know, again, the bidding for him when, uh, you know, when, when the lockout is done might get a little crazy, man. So and then beyond that, you're talking about like outfielders like Nick Castellanos and, you know, Michael Conforto. And now you're looking at subtracting by addition. And I think there are, there is a, a, a way where you know there's there's a trade to be made where like there's a pretty decent piece coming off the big league roster moving out and trade and the blue jays addressing another need and kind of moving things around and in the end they have given up a guy who might project for you know three four wins but they end up taking their total win projection up via this trade via moving these puzzle pieces around so i think that's a possibility but yeah, I still I know I've said this a million times on the podcast, but I still really think that a trade is the way that the Blue Jays are going to solve some of their some of their unresolved needs going into 2022. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, you've got probably, you know, the infielders a, a big one. They need to add an infielder. I mean, that's not it's not a question. Maybe two like you could you could make an argument for two, but you have to add one and then back end starter. That's at least like pretty high on the list i don't know if it's an absolute must like you could enter the season with stripling and pearson and maybe a minor league signing or two but i think they would much prefer to trade for someone and you look at you know there's still partly because it was so wild in free agency there's still a lot of trade uh options out there right whether it's you know on in oakland bassett and montas and Manaya, cincinnati's got their arms so there's the possibility whenever it's possible for some trades on that front but you know one way or another they they have to continue adding relatively big pieces to this team i mean they're not where they need to be they've they've added some more than decent players to this roster but there's still a lot of work to be done and i do think yeah one of it probably gets done by trade one of those moves probably happens in free agency and then maybe you add you know some more bullpen help on lower level deals and there's your offseason 
Yeah, the the back end starter thing can kind of be a bit of a back burner concern right now because like yeah, there are still a couple guys in free agency. You could go like trade for a Merrill Kelly, and you can solve that. You can figure that out closer to spring training. The bullpen's an interesting one that you just raised, and we haven't even talked about Yumi Garcia yet, who uh, the Blue Jays have like signed and added to this bullpen mix in uh, you know a multi year deal. A little bit of a departure from how we've seen the Blue Jays typically build out their bullpens. Like it's we're so used to seeing this front office kind of like just cobble together a bunch of guys <laughs> towards the end of free agency. Some of them on minor league deals, some of them on like very low cost, like one year deals uh, at the major league level. Uh, now you're looking at a bit more of an established group when you layer in Garcia with like a Romano and um, you know with like a Richards and a Simber and obviously a, a Tim Meza. Julian Merriweather is going to factor in there somewhere health assuming but like he's out of options he's not a guy you're going to want to expose uh, you know to being picked up uh, on waivers like you can kind of see this group taking shape and I think Garcia sort of fits into the role that David Phelps who's also now back at the organization on the minor league deal kind of filled in April in very early May before he got hurt last season he kind of pitches the seventh inning for you you know seventh inning with the lead that's your guy. And uh, Garcia kind of bridges you towards your your back end arms. And I think that was a huge part of this bullpen, that, that David Phelps role, that was hugely missed when Phelps went down. And that's why you had to go out and get a Simber and a Richards, because you were losing games at that juncture reliably. So uh, I think Garcia steps into that role. Yeah. No, it's. I think seventh inning is where he fits. Like, I know he's closed before. I don't see him as a ninth inning guy. He's a good reliever. I don't see him as a great reliever based on the results, right? Like we're not talking about someone who's utterly dominant and who strikes out, you know, 36, 37% of the hitters he faces. He's useful. He's helpful. And, you know, there, there was some thought even, you know, again, I had another agent reach out, not involved with the deal and thought the Jays got a really good deal on this. Really liked that the Jays got him for 11 over two with also a club option or club vesting option that's that's in there as well so there was um some some thought that it was a good move but of course he's got to produce on the field and i think that role for him is the seventh inning i think that's you know still jordan romano in the ninth inning still tim Meza probably in a setup role and it does start to get a little bit um stronger you know when you're looking at a full season of simber full season of trevor richards you're looking at a decent group but in my opinion, you still have to add. Um, doesn't have to be major league deals, doesn't have to be big names, but you still have to add. Well, and I think there could be more upside with Garcia too, right? Like he's got kind of like a funny career. If you could get him back to 2019, Gar- Garcia, then all of a sudden you're looking at, yeah, back end dude. Like you're looking at a guy who you can use if Jordan Romano's arms hanging or, you know, Tim Mesa's needing, you know, 10 days on the IL to deal with some elbow inflammation or something like that. Like the building blocks are there for Garcia. Like it's super high spin stuff, right? Like 95th percentile fastball spin. Um, You know, it's a bunch of secondaries that have kind of become muddled. Like you look at 2019 when he was really good, he basically went fastball curveball. Like he leaned on the curveball a lot and it was a really effective pitch for him. High spin, obviously. And he just hasn't thrown the curveball that much since. It's sort of like peculiar. In 2021, he was like fastball slider, a couple curveballs, some change-ups as well. Like, it just kind of looks like a guy who could really benefit from some adjustments to his pitch usage, maybe, like, just narrowing down the repertoire a little bit, paring things down. Like, dude, you pitch an inning, 
you don't need four pitches. Uh, you know, like let's get you back to using that curveball to righties. Maybe we save the change up for lefties and maybe we like tighten up your slider into a cutter as we've seen the Blue Jays do with a lot of pitchers of late. So like I just think there's a lot of like tweaks and adjustments that the Blue Jays could look to make with them there to actually get a bit more upside out of them and not have some of those like results that you were kind of ordinary that you were referring to last season actually get them back closer to the 2019 guy. Yeah, I mean, that would be that'd be huge. They could definitely use it. Uh, this bullpen is more good than great even if you're projecting it optimistically and so any kind of upside that you can find would be good but you know i i think as you look to to this group the reality is as we see every year some of these guys will be hurt on opening day some of them will be hurt on may 1st and june 1st and july 1st and it's just always that's always the case so that's where i think like you do have to be out there signing more guys like david false which is perfect because you know 40 man spots are at a premium now and he doesn't require one so he's on a minor league deal great he can come into camp potentially make the team that would bolster this roster and I think even you know as the Jays are having these trade talks whenever that's possible if they are let's say talking to a team about an infielder whether that's Jose Ramirez or Matt Chapman or Cattell Marte or even a smaller name you know that we haven't thought of if they're talking about an infielder maybe it's a good time to see if you can add an optionable reliever in that trade because if you can do that then you have someone who isn't kind of stuck on the major league roster in the same way that a lot of these guys are then that gives you flexibility to do what most teams do which is kind of bounce these guys back and forth yeah no totally and i think there is still um like the blue jays should be aiming high obviously like they still should be engaging with some of the like best free agents they should be trying to trade for like really premium dudes right like the martes and chapmans and things like that before they start moving into the like uh you know maybe we do randall gritchick for dd gregorius tier or something like that right like uh like i think absolutely they should be setting their sights high but you can't like i don't think they are beyond looking for value as well right and like i think about the non-tender market and there is always value on the non-tender market we were just talking about it kevin gosman was non-tendered just two years ago now he's out here signing a five-year 110 million dollar deal carlos rodon and kyle schwarber last offseason both non-tendered like justin turner was non-tendered at one point like the, so there are always dudes there so maybe you can find somebody like from that tier from that class that you are referring to like who is you know looks like an edge of the roster guy but actually you know has some upside and has some ability maybe you can like get him right like the name that stuck out to me immediately like matt boyd was a big one that hit the non-tender market certainly that that stuck out but chad cool and I know I've mentioned him before from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, he uh, just kind of fell out of favor there, like wasn't working as a starter for him. So it sort of made, started to make the shift to a relief role last season, made some comments to the effect that he didn't love it, which is, <laughs> yeah, which is tough. But uh, maybe he will learn to like it on a shiny new deal with the Blue Jays, right? And maybe with like kind of the benefit of a, a full spring training to like truly commit to the role and like grasp the routines and learn everything that kind of that goes into it. We've heard plenty of starters talk about, you know, you listen to Ryan Barucki and guys like this, Julie Merriweather, talk about how difficult it is to to shift to that bullpen role when you've been a starter your entire life. Thomas Hatch talked a lot about that when he was relieving for this team. Here's the thing with Chad Cool. It's still a fastball in the mid to high 90s. And it's still a high spin curveball. Uh, it's a slider with like a 33% whiff rate. Like, you know, his numbers are a little bit ugly last season. 
but there was like a couple blow up spots in there that you know make make those numbers look a lot worse than, than maybe they would have. So I would bet on the quality of his stuff and on embracing a new role. So I I, I will be looking to see if there's anybody off this non tender market that the Blue Jays kind of see as like hmm maybe there's somebody that we can fix up and that we can get back to being good because in 2022 and 2023 we are going to be looking back and saying oh my god that guy was non-tendered in 2021 just like we are about kevin gosman and you know rodon and turner and all these guys yeah exactly and so you know you've got to you've got to keep adding that's the thing like you can you can look at the pitching staff right now and say this is a pretty decent pitching staff and it it is like they have a good pitching staff um but at the same time like you always need more you always need to be adding more good players that's what the best teams do i mean it's you look at the dodgers and the fact that they can lose kershaw and scherzer and ryu and maeda and dustin made a tommy john and yet they still have bueller and urias at the top of their rotation they still have a good pitching staff so that's the kind of depth that obviously teams are striving for. The Giants have done an exceptional job and not only, you know, developing guys like Logan, Logan Webb, but finding guys in free agency who are these bargains and bringing the most out of their skill set. And of course, not every team is at that level. The Blue Jays would aspire to be, but um, they absolutely need to keep adding. Like it's just, you can never be complacent with pitching. And I'm sure every front office would agree with this. You, you just can't be complacent with pitching. But then it comes time to actually get some deals done and and add some meaningful players to your team. Yeah, and that could mean like a Kyle Seager or sure. a Brad Miller or somebody like that. It could mean somebody like more top of the market. Like it's not it, we just saw the Blue Jays have interest in Javi Baez, like obvious interest in in Chris Taylor as well. Like they haven't stopped pursuing like you know pretty like meaningful infield upgrades via free agency so like maybe there is still a a way to do that Uh, or like maybe you're trading an outfielder to acquire your infielder and you're going out and getting a say a suzuki or a castellanos or a conforto or whoever like i think that a lot of the avenues the blue jays had to improve that's kind of we've been talking about it all offseason is like how many different ways they can go not that many of the avenues have closed off with like Garcia and Gosman coming in and some of the names that have come off the board. Like I think a lot of those avenues are still open. So it does, you know, I think there are still a lot of different ways the Blue Jays can meaningfully improve this team because they have to keep improving it because today they are not going to project to win more than 91 games and they need to project to win more than 91 games at the end of this offseason. Yeah, I mean, there's they're definitely not right at that point for sure. More work to be done. But yeah, I agree. I think they still have a lot of avenues that they can go down and they can still trade. They haven't traded anyone this off season, so they can trade uh, without a doubt and they can spend. I agree with you. I mean, there's, there's no way that you talk to the Marcus Simeons and Robbie Rays and Corey Seegers. If you have no intention of following up with potential offers or, you know, further discussions, like you're not going to waste those guys time. And the Jays have been engaged on those top free agents very consistently. And we've seen, I mean, this calendar year, Three contracts of $100 million plus. I think we're past the point of really doubting that this front office is willing and able to spend. So, we're you know, we're past that. It's funny how, like, ho-hum it becomes when the Blue Jays sign a free agent starting pitcher to a $110 million deal. Like, that would have been shocking in, uh, you know, 2016 or 17, right? That would have been, like, blown away that, like, some of the Blue Jays have never done. And now they go out and they give Kevin Gosman the $110 million, and it's just like, oh, yeah, all right, what's next? 
Like this is like it's a massive move for this franchise. You, you think about these last three years: Ryu eighty, Springer one fifty, uh, Barrios one thirty. Obviously not a free agent, but like that's money committed to a starter over seven years. And now Gosman at one ten. Like this team is like spending like a big market team like this team is like spending like you know like it should like honestly like it should have for a very long time like it has the resources to um and like i just think it's worth saying that like the blue jays are spending money and trying to win the world series next season they are trying to win now (laughs) how many teams can say like that's what i was like complaining about over the first half of this podcast like how many teams are trying to win now today how often in the franchise's history for the blue jays has it been the case where you could say like the blue jays are trying to win the world series in the next calendar year it's not that often that that has that has happened so like everybody always goes like oh one of the blue jays gonna go all in that's they're pretty all in like they are all in on winning they're trying to win so it's a pretty good time to be a blue jays fan yeah they're they're going for it that's for sure i mean you think back to you know what some of the big signings were for the jays as recently as a few years ago right and it would be like Jaime Garcia, we got, we got Jaime Garcia, or you know, Steve Pierce is a Blue Jay. This is this is really <laughs> exciting. We like Steve Pierce. Oh, I mean, okay, um, nothing wrong with that. But uh, it's really, yeah, it's it's been a step change for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, play more to talk about after uh, this little hiatus for MLB news, perhaps uh, over the next, hopefully, just two months. Uh, we'll see. But we'll be back to talk about whatever's happening and, and whatever's in the air when it comes to MLB lockout, labor, Blue Jays free agency trades all that and so much more uh his name is ben nicholson smith my name is arden swelling I want to thank our producers as always christian ryan and nick andrade thank them for their time as always and thank you for listening we'll talk to you next time on at the letters